2 Corinthians chapter 5, we ended this with, uh, in, in chapter 5, it's really largely been the ministry of reconciliation. Matter of fact, the per- first point of the message this morning is that title again, the message of reconciliation. But then if we can get to chapter 6, it's the mandate of reconciliation. And that's why the song particularly um, was pointed. It said, seek the Lord while he may be found. So we'll dive into that, but let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In chapter 5, not to re-preach the whole message, but I, did, I went through this section very quickly, meaning we covered three verses instead of one. Uh, <laughs> but if you'll read with me verses 19 through 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, would you read that out loud with me? To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What I want to do this morning is I want to take this really largely verse 21 and build off of that you've already had a challenge that we are the ambassadors of Christ we're going to you'll see in chapter 5 the end of that chapter in chapter 6 that theme carries over but I want to focus for a moment in verse 21 he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin now this is going to be a cross reference study <clears throat> so we're going to be off of this doctrine, looking at other passages that build upon or strengthen or help us to see uh, more of a scope of God's message on this idea of making Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now, I don't know what passages you might turn to, but one passage that comes to mind is Isaiah 53. So if you will take your Bibles there, Isaiah 53, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 6. The doctrine of the Bible and the message that was really represented in baptism today over the gospel message is that the Lord saw our need as we are sinners incapable of of saving ourselves, incapable of making our sin go away, incapable of doing anything to take it away. God seeing that need stepped in to help us, which is what's found in verse 1 of chapter 6, stepped in to help us at a place of time in history to invite everyone that wants to be saved, to be rescued, to have salvation that only he can give. And as we look at this, the way that God did that is that he put on human flesh, God the Father sent God the Son to come to earth to do something. And that was to manifest who God is, and God's message. So he came to manifest God and his message. And that message is that this world is sin-stained, dying, and in peril of eternal doom, what the Bible calls hell or the lake of fire, outside of God's grace. But God in his grace steps in to do something for us, but at a great cost to him. That great cost is that the great creator of all, again, puts on human flesh, makes himself vulnerable in the sense of coming as a baby, 
and then comes for the purpose to eventually go to the cross. But why the cross? The cross is that moment where God in history takes all of man's sin. Those who are alive at the time, those who now have, are alive, he's given this invitation to take our sin from us and put it on himself. And here he says that he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. The sinless Jesus takes your sin upon himself. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for whose transgressions? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for whose iniquities? Ours. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It says here, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The idea is that God offered to take all of your sin upon himself and to pay for your sin completely by going to the cross and dying to make payment for you. Now, only love can do that. We know that Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, you might say it this way, while we were still sinning, he dies for us. He, he commends or demonstrates his love for us dying in our place. Love is what made Christ go to the cross. Take your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at verses 21 through 25 where we'll read more about Christ suffering for us. Christ taking the payment upon himself so that you would not have to. So that you would not have to bear the consequence of your sin. So before we read this, it's important to understand if you could save yourself, Christ would not have had to come and die on the cross. If you could do something to make yourself right with God, Christ would not have gone to the cross. If there was something that you could do and keeping all the commandments or living a right, righteous life without sin or being good enough, if there was a way for you to do that, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. But Jesus goes to the cross to wipe all those other efforts away because those efforts can't save you. Only he can. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. For even here and too were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Whose own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed, for you were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Sound familiar, Paul? Does that sound familiar? Amen. Jesus knows the need of your soul. And as the great shepherd steps in to care for you and do for you what you cannot do, he takes our sins in his own body 
hanging on the tree, again, doing for you and for me what we cannot do for ourselves. So he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and looking at the latter part of that verse, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We call this often doctrinally the grand transaction where there is a trade, where Christ takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. He applies his payment for your sin and his righteousness to your life when you place your faith in Jesus. So here's the interesting thing of the gospel. You know these verses well. But he made that we might be made the righteousness of God in him bears reflection over Romans 3.10. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, you know the verse? As it is written, there is none righteous, only some. Right? No. There is none righteous, no, not one. Nobody is going to be standing before God in heaven. Nobody's going to be standing before God in heaven saying, Lord, you've accepted me because I was a good person or did good things or earned my way here or I was kind enough, nice enough. Nobody's going to be in heaven for those reasons. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We're not taking time to turn there, but the Bible even references our righteousness in Isaiah 64, 6, you know the verse. It says our righteousnesses, you remember the verse? They are as filthy rags. Why? Because we are sin-stained people. What does that mean? It means that everything we touch, even though we want to offer a good thing to God, is stained by sin. The illustration I would give to you is a five-year-old little boy offering you food of any kind. I always treat it with great suspicion. Um, I'm reminded, I think I've told the story maybe recently, I'm reminded of the father who was watching his little daughter while mom went to a ladies' meeting. Did I tell you this story recently? Um, well, in, in her being gone, she came back home and, and she said, you know, uh, well, what did you do? He didn't have to watch their, their daughter very often. What did you do? He said, oh, we had it covered. We, we played tea. Tea? Yeah, we played tea. Well, what, so tell me, what did you do? Well, I sat here in the chair, and, and she went, and she, she got some, uh, some water, and she poured it in her cups, and, and she'd bring it to me. I would drink some, and she would drink some. And, and uh, she said, oh, did you ever stop to think that she only has access to one place of water in the house? <laughs> And in horror, <laughs> he realized what he had been doing while his wife had been away. <laughs> little, it's been said, no offense to you young people in here, it's been said little people are germs. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. Little people don't care. I was correcting my little boy the other day. He has a tendency when he's excited about food to put his face right over all of it. <laughs> Smell it all, breathe on it, and everything. Joe, don't breathe on the food, you know, anyway. So, but here's the thing they, it's just part of their nature. It's what little people do, it's who they are. We are born sinners, we just are. The glory of the gospel is found in that God 
makes a way for these sinners who are unrighteous to be right. And he does it through Jesus. And take your Bibles, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And we read in verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, what are the next three words? Or four words. I should say four words. Thou shalt be saved. It It goes on to say, for with the heart, listen to this, for with the heart man believeth unto what? So God, through faith in Christ, takes a sinner who is unrighteous and makes him righteous. The simple definition of righteous is right with God or right in God's sight. In other words, God's wrath is appeased. Another doctrinal word is propitiation, where Jesus steps in as our substitute to make appeasement over the holy wrath of God that cannot accept sin in heaven and yet makes a way for you to be saved. And how complete and how powerful is God's salvation? I'll turn to two passages, Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 1. If you want to catch up, feel free. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For those who are not in Christ Jesus, condemnation still remains. But for everyone who comes to faith in Christ, all of our sins have been passed away or taken care of. They are thrown from the presence of God. There is no more judgment for sin in our life because Christ paid it all. Who walked not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The idea there is that they have surrendered to the leading of the Spirit and come to faith in Christ. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, there was no law that I could keep to make me right with God. And that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Do you want to walk after the Spirit? Yield to the Spirit and come to Christ. Romans chapter 1, the last two verses here that I'll share on this theme of Jesus being sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The power of the gospel is that God makes a way for us to go to heaven. The miracle is that God makes a way for us who never deserve to be in heaven to be allowed to be there. Romans 1, 16 and 17, we read this. Matter of fact, if you're there, I think you'd enjoy reading it with me. Let's read one, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So how is God justified in declaring us to be justified? God in his holiness didn't just say, hey, I'll ignore your sin. God didn't just say, eh, it doesn't matter. I know you tried hard. I'll let you in. That would be unjust. Payment had to be made for our sin. For a holy God is a just and righteous judge. And in our deplorable and desperate situation, 
God steps in and does for us, again, what we cannot do. And he makes a way for you to be clean. So powerful is the love of God. So powerful is the righteousness of God. So powerful is the message of the gospel that every last sin sick sinner can be redeemed. Every last one. But you don't know what I've done. It really doesn't matter. God is willing to save you. But you don't know. I don't have to know. God knows. And by the way, the idea that you've done more deplorable things than someone else, in God's sight, all of us are unworthy of heaven. And in our unworthiness, he loves us anyway. So don't let your sin or what you've done in the past keep you from disbelief that there's no way a holy God would save me. Understand that when you say that, you're actually disrespecting what a holy God did for you. A holy God giving himself and the sufficiency of his work to go to the cross that can take every last sin and pay for it all. That is the power of the gospel. Now, this is the message of reconciliation. The great message is it's open to everybody. Anyone that wants to can be saved. But what about the mandate of reconciliation? The mandate of reconciliation, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, we read this. We then, as workers together with him, this is beckoning back to we are ambassadors for Christ. So we then, as workers, is referencing Christians. So believers, this is you coming here to worship God and saying, Lord, I want to be surrendered to you. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to live a life in service to you, honoring you. We then, as workers together with who? Read the verse. We then, as workers together with who? We are in coordination with the work that God is doing today. That's why this ministry exists. This ministry exists to carry out the Great Commission. It exists to glorify God by doing the work of the ministry that God has given us to do. It is God that has administrated the church, organized the church to accomplish these purposes. That is why he's given it offices. He's given it uh, a structure where he is the foundation. There are pastors, there are deacons, there are lay people. But according to Ephesians 4 and many other passages, we are laborers together for the work of God. Amen? Hello! That means everybody in this room who is saved matters to the work of God. And I, I really want to embolden you and prod you and and poke you into service where you serve as the Holy Spirit directs your life. Never underestimate the power of God to use you. If the power of God can save you, He certainly can use you. Amen? Amen? Amen. We then as workers together with Him, and here's what we are doing, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. This is the heart of the believer, the heart of evangelism, the heart of an ambassador. 
Now, I have to tell you that I often wonder over the beseeching. Sometimes beseeching for some pastors looks really angry. And it doesn't sound like beseeching. It sounds more like chastising. And here's the point. The message of the gospel is the good news of a loving God reaching a sin-lost world. And in that good news, there is a beseeching, an entreaty, a, a working with people to try to convince them of who Jesus is, to try to persuade them to come to the knowledge of the gospel. All you got to do is go back and read the passages we've already covered in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, and you'll find those themes uh, over and over again. We're entreating, we're beseeching, we're trying to persuade. So we're workers together with God as his ambassadors. We're working with him in this place for the great commission. And here's the deal. God is still saving souls. God is still saving souls, people. He's still at work today. And you'd say, yeah, but I don't see it. I will tell you one of the reasons I think that we don't see it. We are not speaking about Jesus. Now, I know that that's maybe not a great thing to say amen to, but it's true. I think that we need to speak about Jesus. Amen? We need to talk about him. We need to be about him. We need to open our mouth and not be ashamed of him and declare Jesus. And I will tell you that God is still saving people, wants to save people, and people still want to be saved. Now, everybody, I don't know. You don't know. But we don't know unless we ask. We don't know unless we open up and say something about him. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So we are working with God. We're beseeching people. We're entreating people to be saved. And here is the message in this verse 1. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? Receiving the grace of God. First of all, the grace of God is not vain or empty. God's grace is powerful and far-reaching and complete to do what needs to be done for every sinner that wants to access it. So the grace of God is not insufficient. But how can you make the grace of God vain? It means to take the grace of God and to make it of none effect. And there are at least two ways that that can be done. One way that it can be done is to reject the offer of salvation. It's to say, you know what? I hear what you're saying, that all I need to do is come to Christ in faith, place my faith in Him as the one who died for me, and that He'll wash my sins away. I don't believe that. That's one way to make the grace of God in vain. You've heard the truth, and it's simply rejecting it. And say, yeah, but I don't think so. Look, it's not me thinking or making up any plan. It's what God says in His Word. So we don't stand here on the authority of what some pastor has said. We stand under the authority of God's word. God said it, and that settles it. You've heard it said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You know, there are some people, when God says it, they don't believe it, but it doesn't change it. 
The word of God is the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's evil to drive and dive right into your heart where your sin is and tell you you need a savior, that Christ is that savior, and he'll rescue you if you'll come to him. That's the message of the gospel. It's powerful. It's efficacious to anyone that comes, and it is the truth that God sent through Jesus. John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's Jesus. Now that message can be rejected, and that's one way to make the grace of God be vanity. It means nothing to you. What is vanity? Vanity uh, is the idea of something that is a puff of smoke, it has no concrete, has no foundation, has no uh, effect in the life, it becomes empty and weak. That's the idea of vanity. The second way that it becomes vain is to change the offer of salvation. And really, this is more what commentaries argue over that Paul, when I say argue over, they're defending the idea that this is what Paul has in mind. In chapter 11, Paul refers to false teachers preaching another gospel. They change the gospel. To change the gospel makes the gospel or the grace of God of none effect. You hear me? To change the gospel makes the grace of God to have no effect. And here's what change in the gospel looks like. If you're, you know, we're not going to go to Romans chapter 11 because we're going to get there six years from now. But uh, in Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, uh, there is the teaching that there were Judaizers. And Judaizers were coming, they were Jews that were coming to the church. They were familiar with the gospel. But what they were saying is, yes, we know that Christ died for everyone's sin, but that atoning work of Christ was not enough. The work of God needs something else, and what it needs is your obedience to the law. Your combining of the law with the offer of God's grace. And as soon as you add anything to the offer of God's grace, you make God's grace of none effect because God's grace is sufficient to do the work by itself. So, Paul, Ariel, we're in my office. And this is, this is the illustration that I almost always use when I ask people if they're going to die and stand before God, what are they going to offer to him as a reason that they're going to heaven? And I think the use of what I've got here is uh, probably a pretty good illustration. We're going to offer some worthless things like my credit card um, and my insurance card. Uh, and they represent some things. So some would say, well, I have kept the sacraments, I've been baptized, I've kept communion. Baptism, communion, I've been basically a good person, and I know about Jesus. And we offer this back to God and say, these are the reasons I should go to heaven. And that is not the sound doctrine of the word. The only thing that can be in this plate is Jesus. Jesus is the reason any person is saved in Jesus alone. So Paul was begging these people to not listen to those that would change the gospel. 
There are some that would say, matter of fact, they, they don't believe in the power of the Word of God. And they have living prophets. And if you want to know how they're not prophets, because they go against the Word of God. They tell you some other way that you can be saved. Some other way that you can do this or you can do that. And by the way, when you start listening to men and their doctrine, you know how it's not true? Because even when you listen to them, you don't know if you've done enough. You never know, have I given enough? Have I been sorry enough? Have I sacrificed enough? Have I done uh, penance enough? And maybe, maybe if I haven't, somebody else will, will have some kind of an efficacious prayer to help me get out of this whatever purgatory is that's not represented in the Bible. I'm telling you that when men start tweaking with the gospel, they mess it up. The gospel is sufficient by itself. Jesus did it all. Praise God for that. Praise God for the sufficiency of Christ. So much is this powerful that he says in this next verse, he quotes something that is referenced in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 8. He says in verse 2, For he saith, I have heard thee, this is the mandate, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. The idea of succored is to help, to step in, to meet need, to do what you cannot do. It's an old English word. Have I helped thee? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I know what time it is. I know what time our clocks say. There's food right after this message. Bear with me. And pray for the junior church workers. Paul is quoting Isaiah 49.8. The point of the quotation is to underscore that it is God that offers salvation. It is his instigation, initiative, and involvement that helps us in our time of need. Now is our time of need. When do you need a savior? When? When does this world need rescued? <laughs> Yes, you're a little less powerful and emotional about it than I am. When does it need it? Now. This world is a mess. A blooming mess that's blooming more and more all the time. It is, it is sadistically amusing to watch how wrong we get life. If anything has been learned over the last three years, you ought to know that government won't save you. If anything you've learned over the last three years, you've learned that even health care won't save you. Hello? You think a doctor's going to give you some magic pill that just keeps you keep on living? Get the shot. Don't get the shot. Get this. Get, you know, do what you want to do. More power to you. And I'm not saying don't pursue medicine. I'm even taking a vitamin now. Uh, <coughs> <coughs> My hope is not in a bottle. Amen. Come on now. Some of you are taking 30 pills a day. Lord bless you. Have you ever have you gotten to the point in your life where you're taking enough pills that it's a meal? 
I watch some people take their pills. I'm like, my word. That might last me till noon. I mean, come on. And if you feel better for it, good. But it isn't going to save you. Have you ever heard of a healthy person dying? One long ago, long ago, a marathoner died right there in his marathon. Pastor Shostrom, Grace Baptist, Twin Falls, was running a marathon, had a heart attack. God gave him grace and longevity. He's back in the pulpit. I'm telling you, folks, eating celery and broccoli is just going <laughs> to... Some of you don't think I have a filter. There it was. I just filtered that for everybody. And everybody knows that broccoli with cheese is blessed of God. And celery, as long as it's carrying peanut butter. Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh, Lord, help us, you know. And some of you are thinking, no wonder you Baptists, you know. <laughs> oh, man, it's bad. Okay. Here's the deal, folks. Listen, behold, now is the accepted time. When do you need to be saved? Now. Now. Now's when we need salvation. Now is the day of salvation. It is imperative. That's why it's a mandate. God has stepped in to offer this salvation. Now you're hearing the message. Now the time to repent is now, not tomorrow. For some in their rebellion to repent and receive God's offer, He gives them up to their own way. We won't take all the passages that refer to this. It's largely in Romans 1. I'm only taking one sample verse. And in verse 24 it says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And if you read that passage, he gives them up. He gives them up. He gives them up. And the idea is that there comes a time where God has been knocking on the heart's door and the rebellion says no. And he says, time has ended. And the grace of God pulls away and he lets the rebel go their way. Many of us, again, think there's going to be time. There's going to be time when I can do the right thing. There's going to be time when I can get this right. There's going to be time for me to call on Christ. You have no guarantee of the next second. In this very service, a person's heart can stop. You can walk outside of these doors. You can end, end your life in this next day, in this very day, through a car accident or through some other means. You have no idea of how long you have to live. All you know is that this life is going to end itself some point. There was a time when the Lord shut the door of the ark and the flood swept over everyone outside the ark. There came a time at the wedding party and those who were not ready for the coming of the bridegroom where they were locked out because the doors were shut. Matthew 25. There comes a time when the door is shut. That time is not today. That door is open. The call of grace is open. The invitation to salvation is open to everyone that will come.
But today is the time. Now is the time. Let me just challenge you folks. If you say no to the gospel once, it becomes easy to say no again. And easier yet to say no again. So there's some passion behind this preaching. The passion is to beseech you. The passion is to implore you to come to Christ. Take your Bibles to our last passage, Psalm 103. We'll read this together. And our time will be done. Psalm 103. I'm I'm smirking here because I think I've been a little enthusiastic. I might have pulled a muscle. (laughs) Ow. Uh, I know. Our church family knows it's weird like that, so sorry for you visitors. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. Psalm 103, 8 through 14. Would you read out loud with me? Starting in verse 8, Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. The Lord is merciful. His mercy is present today. Today's the time. Today's the time to be right with God. Today's the time to be saved. If you're here this morning and you've been teetering on this idea your whole life, you've heard the call of the gospel. And I'm not a great preacher, but I'm telling you that it won't get any more clear than what we've read today. So the authority isn't my preaching. The authority is the word. And I don't know how it can get any more clear. Why would you not receive this offer today? The last call to this is for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now this has been very much a gospel-centric service. I think it's a natural result of 2 Corinthians 5 and going into chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, why is tomorrow a better day to be right with God? Why is tomorrow a better day to surrender your life to the Lord and give Him all of your life? Why is tomorrow a better day? Is God good? Private testimony will be done. I have never known the Lord to be anything but kind. Come to Him if you're lost, live for Him if you're saved.
Our time is short. And soon we'll be with him. Let's do the work of the Great Commission in the time that we have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Pray that you'd use it in our hearts. I pray that you would do the prodding work through your spirit to have people respond that need to be saved. And for believers, that we would be serious about the time you've given. Heads bowed and eyes are closed because it's such a pointed gospel message. I just wonder in this room today, if there's anybody that says, Pastor Jeff, I've heard the message of the gospel. I've never received Christ as my Savior, but I'd like to do that today. If that's you, would you lift your hand? I'd just like to know. I see that hand. I've never received Christ as my Savior. I'd like to do that today. I've never received him. I'd like to do it today. I see that hand. Anybody else? It's, it's just an opportunity for you to deal with this question in your life. That's why I'm asking it. Pastor Jeff, I'd like to be saved. I'm raising my hand to say, I want to be saved. Anybody else? Anybody else? Believer then, as we close in prayer, I'd just like to have you give thanks. to see that hand as well. I'd like to have you give thanks for the salvation that God has given you. And to give thanks for the time that he's given you to serve. The sun is shining. We're breathing air. We've got a purpose of what God's given us to do. Praise God. Let's carry the message.